Thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. I tell you, man, you just have not lived until. How many of you guys ever said that phrase before? You were excited about something through some kind of experience that you had with that something. And so it was such an overwhelming experience to where you couldn't help but to tell other people that that their life has fallen short if they have not. You ain't lived until you, and you fill in the blank, whether it was eating a certain kind of food. You ain't lived until you ate at this specific restaurant. You ain't lived until you have bungee jumped off of a helicopter that was hanging off of Mount Rushmore. I'm telling you, you just ain't lived until. How many of you guys ever said that before? Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is, is we mean it. And when we mean it, we, we're, we're saying is we're elevating an experience over living, over life. Now, I, I'm going to be honest and admit to you that there are certain times in life to where we experience something that is so adrenaline pumping, so exciting, so elevating to the emotion and the attention and everything just kind of, the heart is beating and And it's fun, but most of life is not lived like that, is it? (laughs) That's what makes those moments so exciting is because every other moment is not that exciting. (laughs) It is the contrast of those moments to where we say, you ain't lived until, fill in the blank, compared to, nobody goes around and says, man, you ain't never lived until you slept all night. You ain't never lived until you eat three meals a day. You ain't never lived until you've rode as a passenger in a car. Because that's something that we do all the time, right? We're in this series of messages, and this series of messages entitled Forsaking has taught us that there are a lot of things that we have forsook for the sake of some lesser things. Whether it was like last week, Greg preached, we have forsook the the true essence of religion in relationship and how all of that fleshes it out with Christ being our Savior and us in this form of living out this Christian faith, a true religion, according to James chapter 1, verse 27, living that relationship out for the sake of religiosity, assuming life is only and always this circuit of things that we're supposed to do to keep, gain, or maintain a relationship that only his blood can give us. Let me just tag on to that real quick and say, the, the grace of God through the blood of Jesus on the cross is not only enough to rescue your pathetic, wretched, lost soul, but it is enough to keep and maintain and provoke and to instigate growth for the rest of your life. It is not, I've got it, now I've got I've to do this to keep it or this to maintain it or this to make it better. We, we've gone through those forsaking this for the sake of today. We're going to talk about forsaking life for the sake of living. Forsaking life 
for the sake of it. If, if I could reword that a little bit, maybe I would say it this way, forsaking a Christ-driven purpose of existence for the sake of existing until the exit. There are a lot of people out there who are just living life and there's really no life that's being lived. There's this, it's, it's almost like a person who, how many of you guys watch the zombie shows? Yeah, y'all are weird. I don't watch them. I'm scared of zombies, okay? I don't have a big meal for them. <laughs> Aren't they the ones that come eat your brains? Don't have a big meal for them. <laughs> but... But I, they just creep me out. The Walking Dead. Some of y'all are some of y'all are familiar with that show, The Walking Dead. That, you know, there's a lot of people out there who live that kind of existence, don't they? <laughs> I mean, that's all they are. They're, they're they're not experiencing life as life was intended to be experienced. They're just living. Did you know that Jesus? described for us in a portion of the Bible, and we're going to get to that in just a minute, about what it means to appreciate, enjoy, and be engaged with life. Not to forsake, not to abandon, not to give up on the life that is a true, real life for the sake of what is the mirage, the smoke and mirrors, lights that the world tries to give us. Through they, they say, are you really living life? Are you living the dream? You might say, I'm living the dream, but it's a nightmare, <laughs> right? The world promotes that kind of living, living. Li You're not living it up until you've... What, what does Jesus have to say about that? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, John is the, one of the four gospel records in the New Testament. The New Testament begins with Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be in chapter 10 at a very, very familiar verse. But we're going to kind of go back and see what the context of this verse means in just a few moments. But uh, just, just kind of let you know, context means that there is more to this verse than just this verse. We love this verse here. We talk a lot about this verse here. As a matter of fact, at youth camp, the camp pastor, Scott Cockrell, he mentioned this verse two times out of the three messages that he preached, just in passing, not knowing that this is what we were going to be talking about today. But here Jesus, he, he says, this statement that we pluck out and we run with because we love it so much, because it identifies with us so much, and it is so true. Jesus says, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that they, you, me, might have life, and that me and you, they, might have it more abundantly. Where is Jesus coming from? What is the context of this chapter? If you've ever read John chapter 10, you know that this is the chapter that tells us that there is a good shepherd. 
And this good shepherd is one who is leading us in healthy paths, providing for us healthy things to give us a healthy conclusion to life. This shepherd is one who intently cares for his sheep, who is listening for his sheep and expects his sheep to listen to his voice and to respond to his command. He is a good shepherd who is always giving access and protecting the sheep and offering relationship with the shepherd. But in this chapter, you'll see that Jesus is not just describing the good shepherd to whom he is the good shepherd. He's also drawing a contrast to say there is a evil shepherd out there as well. Let me tell you something. God loves you so much. He's willing to offer you guidance, help, instruction, direction, but there is an evil one out there as well. And he hates you. <laughs> he, he, uh, he hates your stinking guts. And he wants the worst for you, not the best for you. Take everything that God wants in Jesus for you, flip it inside out, and that's exactly what the evil shepherd, the devil wants for you. If God wants to protect you as a good shepherd, then the enemy wants to rip you to shreds. If the, the good shepherd wants to provide for you, then the evil shepherd wants to take everything good in your life from you. It's what he does. If the good shepherd wishes to give you access into relationship with him, this is what the evil shepherd wants you to do. He wants you to think that you do have a good relationship with him. You see, Jesus talks about in this chapter the good shepherd who's come and who is the door to the sheepfold, who has laid his life down for the sheep, who has offered himself continually, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's always on call. He's there for his sheep. But there is one who, if you will let him, he will offer you his advice. He will give you from his pastor. He, he will provide direction for you. So that not he would give you life, but instead that he would take away your life. That he would manipulate you into thinking that you are living life. But in all reality, you're just existing until the exit. Let me tell you guys, you don't have to exist until the exit. Come on, y'all wake up this morning. Y'all wasn't at youth camp. You ain't lived until you've been to youth camp. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to exist until the exit. God has not just a plan for you, and we talk about plans with God, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and it is true, God has plans for you, but I think an exclamation point on that statement is the fact that God is a purpose-filling God. This is a God who has such intentional purpose for you to live out in life, and what makes life life is when you know momentarily throughout your existence the plan and purpose that God has birthed and created in the calendar of human existence for you to live. This is important. This is so important that you don't get caught up in the rat race of existence and you just forsake life 
for the sake of just living. Jesus, Jesus makes it plain. Jesus says, I want you to real, live the, the real life. Because there is one who is the enemy, he is the evil shepherd, he is the devil, he is Satan. And he wants you to believe his lies. And he wants to manipulate you into giving him access and to take away everything God has promised and prepared for you. You see, it's a false experience the evil shepherd gives. I don't know if you've ever kind of caught yourself in life. I remember when I was a kid growing up, and I don't know, mama, mama always said it was growing. Mama's here this morning. Y'all say hey to mama. She, you know, she a lot of times say, yeah, it's just growing pains. Dang, boy, I grew a lot. You know, and there's a lot of growing pains. But, but I remember as a kid, I used to have these, these, um, these moments to where it was like I wasn't living life, but I was kind of watching life. Anybody ever have one of those? And it's kind of like, I feel like I'm here, but I'm, I'm really not here. And it's just kind of like life is passing me by. And it was just growing pains. But, but, but I, I, would, I, would, I would just kind of be kind of caught up in a moment. And all of a sudden, I'd be like, whoa, what just happened? And, and what I was living in was real, but what I experienced was, was not real. The, 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 the existence that I had was tangible. I mean, I was flesh in body, living, breathing, heart beating. I was there. I was present. But on another level, I wasn't present. Nobody here knows anything about that, right? Come on. You, you know you've been, let me just say it this way. You know you've been a parent in a home, but you weren't a parent in a home. You know that you were an employee showing up for work, but you was an employee not really showing up for work. You was a husband that was around, but you really wasn't a husband that was around for anybody. You was just existing. Life was like that blank what's happening and, and, and Jesus is saying, you don't have to experience an existence like that. I have come, I have died on the cross, I was buried, I was raised from the dead to provide you much more than just that. We look at the first part of this verse, and we're going to dissect these thoughts in just a few moments. But the last part of that verse, man, whenever it gets to that point, we're like, yeah, boy, that's me, that's what I want. Jesus says, I have come, that they might have what? Life, but not just life. <laughs> Overflowing to a max capacity to where you are heightened in your experience, in your existence, and this is the reason why, not because at this moment you feel fuller in your existence, just because you feel more apt to feel and exercise all of your five senses in the moment, but instead he's saying it's because you understand now because of a saving relationship with me, now you understand what all of this is about. When before you had a relationship with me, you didn't have a clue what any of this was about but now you do because now you've been welcomed in the family of God you've been born again the blood of Jesus Christ not in a grotesque way in a metaphorical way has washed you and cleansed you and made you whole and right and all of a sudden 
You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 is a verse that God, just by his spirit, singed on my memory years ago. That talks about this evil shepherd who is in the world. He is the, the God, little g, of the world. And he is blinding the minds of those who do not believe. So that they may not ever believe. That is his effort And so that was me and that was you, B.C., before Christ. That was us in our lostness. We were blind to the things of God. We had no understanding of the things of God. That's why the scriptures say, Awake thou that sleepest, and Christ shall give thee light. That's why the scripture says that at one time you were dead in your trespasses and in sins, but he who's quickened, made you alive, has raised you up from the dead. <laughs> there was a moment in time in your life to where you were the walking dead and that you were just living. You were existing until the exit And then all of a sudden, the king of glory, the son of God, the righteous I am, the just one who can justify many stepped into your life. (laughs) And he pulled back the curtain that the devil had over your eyes and he helped you to see for the first time. And let me just say, the first time God pulled the curtains of the enemy's uh, curtain away from your eyes, it wasn't a pretty sight. You know why? You know what you saw first? You saw how sinful and wicked you really are without Jesus. That's what you saw. You saw how broken that you are without Jesus. You saw how dirty and filthy the the, the world and sin had made you and, and how worthless you really are apart from Jesus. And when the curtain was pulled back, that was the first thing you saw. And if you were like me, and I'm sure it happened for everybody this way, you were like, ooh. You wanted to do this again. Bring that curtain. I don't want to see that. But in a split moment, because God knows you, turn to your neighbor and say, God knows us. Don't he? Don't he know us? Man, how he knows us. He knew the exact moment whenever you were getting ready to shield your eyes from all of your ugly and your sin. And he says, but wait, there's more. You know, I hate infomercials. I I hate commercials, period. I'm not going to lie to you. Years ago, I was in a ministry in in McGee, and we had a church. We we actually had commercials on television. We had four commercials on television. They were the corniest commercials ever. I mean, we promoted them like it was amazing. Because we were trying to get people in church and get people saved. But I ain't going to lie to you. I hated them commercials. I was in them. Those infomercials, though, I mean, how many of you guys wake up, who are are the night owls in here who, man, you can go to bed at nine o'clock, sleeping like a baby on the couch, watching Law and Order, and you're drooling, and and then, you know, 11.30, you get up, and you're like, oh, I better go to bed. Yeah, you've been been to bed, you just ain't been in the bed, And, and so you get up, and you go to the bed, and you sleep for an hour, two hours, and then you wake up. And you're like, yeah, there was some roast still in the refrigerator. <laughs> and, well, there, there, was, there was some pizza left over from, from lunch today. And you can't go eat a pepperoni pizza with jalapenos and get right back into bed. 
Yeah, that's right. So you're going to pop the television on, and there's going to be Billy Mays. You know, he's going to try to get you to seal up a boat with some spray. <laughs> and it never fails. Those guys, they know what they're doing, right? I'll never forget. Uh, me and Laurie was up late one night, and we was watching television. We saw something we wanted to buy, and we're like, never done this before. I'm going to do it. And so we call them and talk to And it is a process. Now, by the way, this was before, you know, Amazon and, and I don't know, maybe the internet was there, but we didn't know a whole lot about it, still don't know a whole lot about it. But, you know, we just picked the phone and, and we made the call. And by the end of the conversation, I think I bought a 57 transmission, Chevy transmission. That wasn't the product we initially meant to buy because, wait, there's more, right? And so those infomercials, that's kind of the way they play. They get you right on the edge of your seat and then they say, but wait, there's more, and the more is usually just as terrible as what was before it. And it doesn't fulfill, and you're always like, man, that's just more junk for the shed. When Jesus says, but wait, there's more, he's not an infomercial Billy Mays trying to get you to patch your boat with some rubber spray. He's saying, but wait, there's more. I, I've come to give you life. The, the people that he's speaking to, don't you know that in their heart and their mind, they're already thinking, what, what can you do for, we're already living. <laughs> are y'all starting to see the difference now? We're already living. Here we are in, in Israel. I mean, we're the apple of God's eye as the nation of Israel, but Rome's got its boot on our neck. We're slaves to Rome. We're, we're living. How can you give us life? We're existing to the exit. And you can't exist to the exit if you miss this. I've come to give you life, Jesus says. No, 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 not like, not life like you. You ain't lived until. <laughs> not life like what you know life. But I've come to give you life and I have come to give you life more abundantly overflowing, blowing your mind, radically transforming who you are. You just, you don't know what to expect because it's too great, it's too deep, it's too broad, it's too amazing. Every morning you wake up, mercies are new. You sin and grace is greater than your sin. The Spirit of God comes and he convicts and he draws you by his goodness of grace out into repentance and life is so much better and you have victory over temptation and you see victory after victory after victory in your family. You see that God is thriving his life through your yielded life. You just ain't got a clue. One thing that I'm, I'm learning, I've been saved. Goodness, it's been a long time. I got saved when I was 15. I'm 47 years old now. So do the math. Was that 32 years? Long time. And every day, every day, it's almost like God says, but wait, <laughs> there's some more. <laughs> and every time it's like I'm a, a kid at Christmas, mind blown, can there still be more? You see, because he is the good shepherd. And when we are living under his leadership, we are to experience this, not just living. <laughs> are, are, you, are you forsaking life 
for the sake of just an existence? Or is your life full of purpose and full of meaning? You say, Andy, how can I, I know for sure that I am forsaking life for the sake of living? How could you be that? How could you be forsaking life for the sake of living? Well, first and foremost, by following your own way. Anytime your decision trumps the word of God, anytime your way seems better than the plan God has before you, you guys know the proverb, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death and destruction. Anytime Andy chooses to get in the driver's seat and drive the car of his life around, I know that I'm just living I'm not experiencing life and life more abundantly because I have taken out of his control what I promised in the moment of my yes to him in salvation that I would surrender to him in every moment from then on. You see, it's, it's when we say, I know what he said and I know what, how God speaks through the church. And I know how God speaks by his Holy Spirit. And I hear those things, but I choose to. <laughs> now, this is so easy to preach this point at Embrace. You know why? Because we a bunch of rebels. Aren't we? I mean, we are. We, if I were to tell you, hey, everybody, let's wear red shirts next week. Y'all going to come in with blue? Right? This is kind of human nature to a large extent. But it's, it's almost like it's bred deeper. It's threaded stronger in, in some of us to where when we know what is the right way and we don't know it just because it's written down or because we feel it or because we've heard it, but it's because we have experienced. We know that works. We know that's the right way. And then something happens and gets in the way. And all of a sudden we forsake life because this gives us life. And we choose for the sake of just living, living our own way, doing our own thing, making it by us. And, and in doing that, we run that car off into the ditch. And this is our temptation but God, why? But God, this. I, I, I don't know if, if, you, if you ever do that to where you bring those kind of questions. Years ago, I had somebody tell me, Andy, don't question God. And I understand what they mean. They're saying, don't question his character. Don't question his authority. Don't question his virtue, who he is in his core. And we don't have to question those things. We know that God is just in all that he does. And he is a loving God. And he is a God who is seeking after. He'll, he'll leave the 99 and chase your wandering tail all over the place. Somebody better say amen. amen. We know his character. We know his virtue. We know his heart. But there's times to where we have questions. We, we wonder, why not go to the one who has all the answers? Not questioning his character, but asking him questions. Sometimes I'll get in that driver's seat, and man, I will total it. And then I'll say, but God, 
I gave my life to you when I was 15. I, I surrendered to the ministry when I was 18. God, but God, I've given you this part of my life and this part of my life and this part of my life and this part of my life. And then all of a sudden, whenever I'm asking God the questions, why God has, y'all know that God has answers. God has answers. Don't think that he don't have answers. Maybe he's, he's baiting you along a little while, seeing how deep your heart is really interested in the answer to the question that you're asking. He's eventually going to answer that question. He has answers. Most of the time when I'm doing this, like a knucklehead, I have listened to the evil shepherd. And the answer is, but I've given you a better way and you, you chose to leave the better way because you chose to leave the shepherding of the good shepherd because you chose to believe the lie of the evil shepherd and you know what he wants. <laughs> How do I forsake life for the sake of living? I just follow my own way. John chapter 14, verse six. Y'all know this verse. Jesus says in him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but my me. You say, I want life and I want it abundantly. I want it overflowing. I want it in abundance. Then here we go right here. You say, well, Andy, isn't that the verse that teaches me how to be saved, how to come to the Father? It absolutely is. But again, the gospel is nothing that you grow from, but you grow deeper in. This is a truth that you don't get one time. Because <laughs> there's a whole lot more than one truth or one getting from this verse. Man, Jesus, if he said then, I am the way, it's good for today, right? I said it's good for today, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And if it's been good for today and it was good when he said it, it's good every day in between that for 2,000 years and even more so. It's been the good way. Which reminds me that if it's been that way then, then it's going to be that way tomorrow. The devil's going to come and say, boy, everybody got another way. Your, your nasty heart's going to say, oh, but I got a better idea. And the Spirit of God's going to remind you, no, 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 there's, there's a way. There's a better way. He is the only way. If, 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 you'll just, if you'll just continue to walk in this way, it was good when you lost your job and you couldn't pay your lights. It was good when your children got sick. It was, it was good when your spouse left you. It was good when those people hurt you. It's good now. It's good now. It's good for what's next. It's good for what's to come. Because his way's better than your ways. Right? He is able to think. We were, we were having time at camp this week and I, I talked to so many young people today who for some reason, they're a lot like us. They are analytical thinkers and they oftentimes think a whole lot further than sometimes what the boundaries permit them to think. I don't know if you're like that way. I'm, I'm that way. I'm, I'm a critical thinker. I, I, I'm an analytical thinker. I overthink. How many of you guys overthink? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it funny how we overthinkers think we're smart? Yeah, no. You don't have to overthink this. You see, you forsake life for the sake of living when you, when you follow your own way, thinking your way is better. When you listen to yourself over Jesus. 
And we've already talked about this, how your voice is the voice you hear more than any other voice. Nobody has a greater voice in your life than what you have. You're talking when everybody else is quiet. Sometimes you're talking here when somebody else is talking. Man, that so irritates me. I, I a lot of times have to talk to folks and I was taught this myself because I did the same thing to where I'm preparing what I'm going to say while you talking because I only caught one thing in the beginning of what you were saying and now I'm preparing to say something to contradict or combat or even compliment what you said in the beginning of that conversation and I had to learn and I'm still trying to learn that I don't have to be talking up here while you're talking out there and it's okay in conversation for the sake of communication just to listen and then pause to reflect and then talk, right? How many of you guys know somebody that's got a motor mouth? Don't point at them. Yeah, well, we know some people who know that, man, their vocabulary can go until Jesus comes back, right? You don't, you don't have to interrupt. You don't have to. You see, this is sometimes I think with Jesus, when Jesus has the answer and that Jesus is, is speaking, sometimes he'll say one thing and, and it's just one part of what he's revealing to us and, and we get this motor mind and we start moving ahead of Jesus and, and Jesus said, wait, wait, there's so much more. I've come to give you life. And would it would have been something if we'd have heard that part and not the rest of it, wouldn't it? If we'd have just began to build on that part and that part alone and said, you know, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving me life and, and I'm good with this and I'm already building. I got plans and I'm going this way and I'm doing this and, and we're motor mouthing. And Jesus is saying, chill out, bro. Just listen. Listen to Jesus more than you listen to yourself. This is what he said in verse 27. John chapter 10, the same the same chapter says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's a simple verse, a real short statement, but man, what truth. He says, the sheep of my pasture understand where we're going from. There are two shepherds. There is the good shepherd and there is the evil shepherd. The good shepherd promises protection and life and he is giving you relationship. The bad shepherd is, is destroying and he's, he's stealing and, and he wants to guard and he wants to give smoke screens of what relationship looks like. That's the evil shepherd. And Jesus says, my sheep, the ones that trust me. Let me ask this obvious question. Hey, you guys are in a, in a church building this morning. You know, us good old Southerners, we say, let's go to church. The fact of the matter is, we are the church, but this is, this is the gathering of the church, right? So, so, so this, is, this is an obvious thing that some of you guys are going to say, Psh, why did he even say that? Of course, we're here. Here it is, you ready? Do you trust Jesus? Of course we say yes. Now let's back it up a little bit. What are you struggling with in your life right now? What's hard for you to let go? <laughs> What's hard for you to receive? What, what, what thought is, is squirrely and you just can't get a fix on it? What emotion seems to be dominant 
over other emotions for you. Anger, rage. Do you trust Jesus? We say, yeah, I trust Jesus. That's why I'm here. Go, Jesus. Team Jesus. Until, until we need to be vindicated, vindicated because we've been done wrong. Until our needs are not fully met and we wonder if God's going to show up like he ain't done it a million times before. Right? Do you really trust Jesus? Not just, I trust him to save me, which is kind of a crazy thought, right? I trust him to when I die, carry me to heaven and I get to escape hell. We trust him with eternity. By the way, that's a long time. Longer than you've ever experienced. Longer than your brain can fathom. And yet we struggle trusting him with the moments of life. For this brief vapor, we, he says, my sheep hear my voice. And he says, I know them. And they follow me. You see, the way to forsake life for the sake of living, listen to you more than you listen to Jesus. And I'm not sure about you, but if I'm honest, my voice to me is the most familiar, but it's also the most dangerous voice I can listen to. If you want to continue just living, existing to exit, then you just keep listening to yourself or you just keep following your way. And the thought of that is your way goes somewhere, but where is it going and can you live there? This is the last thought I'm going to throw at you. It's 11 o'clock, just in case anybody was wondering. By trusting things other than Jesus... Isn't it crazy how we think, if I can just fill in the blank, then everything is going to be okay. If, if I can just get that job, if I can just complete this program, if, if I can just secure that relationship, if I can just overcome this hurdle. So funny how we think those, if I can just this, then, then that. <laughs> you, you're living life like Jesus ain't already took care of all of life for you. you, you you're, you're existing. You, you, the, the thought is this thing will fix it. Can I just tell you this? Things don't bleed. Let it sink in just a minute. I know you're probably writing down in your notes, Andy's a genius. Right? Right? No. <laughs> Things don't bleed. At least not like Jesus. Things aren't going to save. Things aren't going to rescue you. Things aren't going to fix you. But Jesus can come in. <laughs> Jesus can do the work because Jesus is the good shepherd. John 10, 6 through 9, notice what it says here of Jesus. In verse 6, in the parable Jesus spoken to them, but they understand not. 
what things they were which he spoke unto them. He said, then said Jesus unto them again, verily, verily, or of a truth, I say unto you, I am the door to the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man will enter in, he shall be saved. Let me ask you this. How far does his salvation go? It goes until the due date on the Southern Pine Bill. <laughs> no. It goes to the end of that person's life that I love very much. It goes to the point to where you hurt me and it stops there. No, no. Anytime you see that word saved, it's in the English translated ED. It has the idea of a done deal, and it is a done deal. But I want you to understand, when you see the word saved or salvation or to save in the Bible, it is a perfect verb in the original language. It is not ran or run only. It is running. It is the idea of a continuation. It is a perfect verb in that language that says that Jesus, when you cried out to receive him as Savior, he reached down and he rescued you and he is now rescuing you and ultimately one day the rescuing will be complete because you will be in heaven with him. That's what that means. So saving doesn't end at our problems. Saving doesn't end when we step in the way. <laughs> Saving continues and continues and continues. This, this last thought, just go to verse 10. I told you we're, we're going to get back to this. Man, we, we at Embrace have hashed out John 10, 10 more times than I can possibly imagine. The thief comes, and the thief is here. <laughs> the, the preacher at camp said this, and man, it was so true. He says, does everybody know that God has a plan for them? And we were all like, yeah, because we're hyped up on Kool-Aid and, and in chocolate. And we're all like, yeah, God's got a plan. And then he says, how many of you guys believe the devil also has a plan for you? <laughs> oh, the devil's got a plan. Hey, he's scheming. He's got a plan. He was in the garden. He was waiting on him to get close to the tree. He was slithering on down. He had eyes on him. He's got a plan. God's here. God's with us and God is doing a work. But understand the devil, man, he's, he's working and he's got a plan. The thief, he's come and he's coming like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Don't be a sheep isolated from the shepherd. You're easy pickings. Lamb chops for supper, right? The thief comes for one purpose, to steal, to kill, and to destroy because he wants you to forsake life for the sake of living. He wants you to exist to the end, to the exit. That's all he wants for you. If I can, I can't take the salvation of that Christian away. So what can I do? I can handicap that Christian to where they're no longer in the game. That's what he wants to do to you. 
Christian. Now, if you're lost, he's doing this with you. And God's ripping that curtain off. And you're feeling this thing on the inside of your heart and it's making you uncomfortable. Your hands probably are sweating. Maybe your tear, your, your eyes may be filling up with some tears. Maybe your heart's palpitating. Maybe you're thinking, dang, they finna sing a song and I'm gonna feel a lot weirder. It's called conviction from the Holy Spirit. Right? The thief has come to take away. He has come to kill, he has come to destroy. But he says, I have come, because he's the good shepherd, that you might have life, that you might not forsake life for the sake of living, so that you might live in a Christ-centered purpose for the rest of your life, so that you might be able to experience life much more abundantly than what you experience it. You see, this is the thing. Some of us have experienced the evil shepherd Man, he's, he's, he's come in and he's made a havoc of our, of our marriage, of our parenting, at our work. Man, he, he's messed our brain up to where, man, it's hard to think and concentrate on the things of God. He's divided our, he's, he's come to kill, steal, and destroy things in our affection and our focus. Man, he's come and he's done a lot of, has the devil ever attacked y'all? Has he ever tried to steal, kill, and destroy from you. Some of us sit back and we say, he's done that. I'm living in that. I, I'm stolen from. There's things in my life that are dead because of. He has destroyed this. And if you're not careful, you might say to yourself, Psh, what can I do? How can I go forward? The second part of this verse says more than what it says. You, you, you hear what I'm saying? It says more than what it says. When it says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundantly, what he's saying is, the thief has come, the evil shepherd, who you listened to and you believed his lies, and he has robbed away, he has stole things from you. He said, Jesus is saying in the second part of this verse, but I am the redeemer. I am coming to redeem. You know what the term redeem means? It means that Jesus owns the title to what the devil stole from you. <laughs> and since Jesus owns the title to what the devil has stolen from you, Jesus is the rightful owner. And so Jesus can just bounce up in his place and take away what belongs to Jesus. <laughs> so, he, he's, he's come to kill. By the way, just for, for those of you who are kind of 10 sentences back, kill means dead. It's usually what it means. Kill means dead, right? You say, Andy, it's dead. It's final. There's a period at the conclusion of this. There's no other way. But Jesus comes. He's not just the redeemer. He's the resurrector. You see, Andy, that relationship is dead. I stole too many checks out of their checkbook. I told them way too many lies. I robbed away things from their heart. And I watched the relationship shrivel up and die. Well, there was friends to Lazarus who watched his life shrivel up and die. And Jesus showed up four days later. And he says, Lazarus. And he says to you, that part of your life this morning, he says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. He says to that part of your life, 
that, that part of your life that you thought would never live again. And he's saying this morning to that part of your life, I'm the redeemer, I'm the resurrector. If you will trust in me, he says, I will call that thing back into life. Because he can do that. The evil shepherd has come to destroy. Who can take ash and bring beauty from it? Who, who can restore years that the locusts and the canker worm have eaten? Jesus says, not only am I the redeemer and the resurrector, I'm the one that can come and make all things new. How many of you guys this morning say, I need the redeemer in my life? I need the resurrector in my life. I need one to come and make all things new in my life because I am sick and tired of existing till the exit and today claims the date to where I no longer am going to exist to the exit, but instead I'm going to live with purpose and meaning because Jesus has come to give me life and life more abundantly, which means in every moment I can experience the goodness and the grace of God in every situation. Is that you this morning? I want you to make a decision this morning. As a matter of fact, I'm challenging you to make a decision this morning. To stop living in the first part of this verse and start living in the second part. You want to do that? This is how we go from living to life.